eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease and a whole lot of love, you transform 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. LED headlights, spoilers, whatever you need. eBay Motors has it at affordable prices. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride every time. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the NASCAR NBC podcast. I'm your host, Nate Ryan, broadcasting today from the home studio as the Charlotte studio is in use. I'm joined by NASCAR and NBC pit reporter, analyst, truck series driver, cup series driver, jack of all trades, Parker Kligerman, who is also in an undisclosed location after Sonoma. So Parker, greetings. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, buddy. Appreciate it. Yeah, it's good to be here. I'm in, I'm in California still and it's cold. So not much, it doesn't feel very vacation-y, but that's all right. <laughs> Northern California can be that way. I think, uh, how's the saying go? The um, coldest winter I ever spent was a summer in San Francisco. Yeah, so. Hemingway said that, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, it's very so. true. Understandable very true. that it's, it's that way. But I hope you enjoy your vacation nonetheless. Again, we appreciate you being here, talking some Sonoma. Big doings, Parker, happening in the cup race Sunday. Big win for Daniel Suarez for many reasons, namely that it's his first Cup Series win, but also for NASCAR, first Mexican driver to win and huge implications for the playoffs, track house emerging now as a first year team. But also want to talk to you about maybe it was a big win for Daniel Suarez individually, most of all, because of Ross Chastain already having two wins as his teammate this year. Mm-hmm. And uh, I want to play you a little bit of audio here. We're going to start with uh, Justin Marks, who, of course, is co-owner of track house racing. And he said after the race that Justin Marks, team owner. Wow. Can you put this into words this way? This one's difficult to put into words. We, you know, Daniel, Daniel Suarez, Travis Mack helped build Trackhouse, and uh, they've been working so hard together. They've been so focused, so dedicated, trying to get into victory lane. The, the one, the one car winning two races this year was tough on them, but they never gave up. They knew that they deserved to be in victory lane. I'm so proud of them and happy for them. And then Daniel Suarez in his victory interview, post-race interview on Fox Sports said that It's been a rough though. It's been a, a rough journey in the Cup Series and uh, these guys believe in me, Dragon Racing, Justin Marks, Sign Norris, everyone that helped me to, to get to this point. You know, a lot of people in Mexico, Jim Morales, Carlos Lim, my family, you know, they never, they never give up on me. A lot of people did, but they didn't. So. I'm very happy that, that we're able to, to make it work. So uh, very emotional words there from Daniel Suarez. And curious from your perspective, Parker, like how do you think it may be war on them in ways we didn't see uh, with Chastain having so much success and Daniel Suarez still being winless? Yeah, so I think if you, you know, a couple, a couple steps back, you know, go back to 2019 and to 2020 for Suarez, where, you know, he had been obviously – he left Gibbs. He went to Stuart Haas. He leaves Stuart Haas. He goes to, you know, the 96 Gump Brothers, uncharted, really tough deal, right? Like, you know, that is not a path 
to winning a race in the cup series, right. And being a driver who's, you know, been cast aside before it's a really tough place mentally. It's tough to, you know, work your whole life and put everything in position and get to the top level. And then it sort of did not care for you. Right. And then think about this, you know, I, I got to be a bit of a fly on the wall when Justin was putting the track house deal together. And, you know, he's, he's a friend of mine. We were spending some time together and I, I sort of saw, you know, his ideas behind this, that that time, you know, it, it, I think it was even so it was a little earlier than it was even real. Right. It was still sort of like an idea. And think about Daniel's position when Justin comes along and says, Hey, I want to do a cup deal, right? I want to, I want to, I'm going to be a first time cup owner and I, I've never owned a bolt or anything in this deal. And uh, I want you to come along for the ride, right? It's like, that's a big leap of faith. Travis Mack as well. And, you know, they went to the, the RCR deal where they, they were sort of using their technology in their cars. And then, you know, obviously went to where they now bought Canassi and are, are self-sufficient. But I think that was a really, you know, it's an interesting progression, right? Like, he took a chance on Justin. Justin took a chance on him. And so when you have where they get to this point of, you know, building it up, you buy Ganassi and Ross Chastain goes and wins their first two races. Yeah. You know, he's the home guy. He built this place, right? Like he's right. put the pits and the shovels in the ground. So I think that had to be really tough. And Travis Mack, who, you know, I think has done an excellent job with that organization and, and really, you know, kept a core group of guys together through this, through the transitions and, and, you know, talking to them at the end of last year, it was a really tough time, right? In terms of, you know, all that was happening. And for Justin, you know, he was telling me, you know, how much he was working and how much information they were drinking basically through a fire hose to put all this together. So it was big, not only because, as you put it, you know, Dale Suarez being a foreign born driver, you know, to win the cup series, only the fifth one ever, not only because of his massive fan base and how cool it was when he spoke in Spanish after the race, I thought that was awesome. But you look at the progression of what we now are seeing where Trackhouse is emerging as a real title contender and a top level organization. And just two years ago, it was an, it was an idea that two people a lot, or a couple of people, but namely Justin and Daniel had to take a risk together to get there. And this is the reward for that. Yeah, I agree with you. That was the best bilingual interview in NASCAR <laughs> post-race winner history. Cool. Not that, unfortunately, we don't have a big sample size there. This is pretty much a sample size of one, but fantastic interview. And I I'm, appreciate, Parker, you brought up Suarez's history because I think we sort of forget this, that he wins the two Xfinity championships. He gets promoted to cup by Gibbs earlier than expected because of Carl Edwards. And then, you know, there's no other, there's no delicate way to say it. He kind of gets booted to the curb by Gibbs, goes to Stuart Haas race and gets one year there then goes to Gaunt Brothers, and obviously that didn't work out. This is truly his last chance at making it in the Cup Series. Yeah, there's no doubt. And I'm, you know, speaking from experience, when you're being knocked down the totem pole, it's not a good feeling. And, you know, that's where you, as a competitor and as a realist, have to start to be like, okay, is this is this working out? Like, <laughs> am I going to be here? Um, how much longer am I going to be here? Because obviously I'm doing, you know, I'm not doing something right or something's wrong or whatever. Right. So, and you, you lose confidence in those scenarios. It's and we talk often on this podcast, you and I, about how confidence is like the ultimate currency for a race car driver. It's the end all be all. Although money is very important as well. The next one is confidence. Like those two run very much hand in hand. If you want performance, you got to have the money, but you got to have the confidence as well. Um, and that's a really tough thing to hold on to when you're being let go from organizations, you know, in succession. So, and then you go to an unchartered deal like he was in, which is a really tough thing in this day and age of the NASCAR Cup Series. And at that time with the Gen 6 car, the discrepancy between performance of, the, of those cars was just, you know, it was like being in a uh, an upstart Formula One team would be impossible, right? So 
you look at that, this is a very meaningful win for him because now it's sort of, you've been cast over the bottom and now you're at the top and it's just perseverance, right? It's not giving up. It's taking risk on going to this track house deal and sticking with it and then sticking with him and seeing that, you know, there was the ability to do this and, and it all comes together. And, you know, I feel back in 2020, I, I was in a similar position where I didn't, although he went in that 96 car, which took that ride for me. It's okay. The, I'm not saying it was just, you know, I'm not saying that thing, but I'm saying that plus my truck team at the time was shutting down. I had no ride and I thought my driving side was done. Right. And so I've kind of looked at that from a similar point of view where I'm sure he was at one point thinking, yeah. you know, where, what am I going to do with this? Right. And I've been lucky enough to now, you know, drive more cup races, more truck races than I ever have be running up front. And I think we're really close to winning in the truck series. Heck, we were beating his bumper down in the last corner the day before he won his first cup race. So that's pretty cool. But I think I'll get hopefully more cup opportunities as well. And, and you know, I felt the resurgence of my own career. So I, I, I kind of can align with what he's feeling, not to the full elation of winning the cup race, but in terms of just turning it around, turning around the, the downslope and heading upwards, I think for a race car driver is an incredibly hard thing to do. It's hard. You know, they, they like to say, what is it, like one in a bajillion that, or eight billion that you are born. It's really hard to even get to being a race car driver at a top level. And then to turn around when it's not going right is the next hardest thing. And he's accomplished that. And it's really impressive. Yeah, no question. And I'm, I appreciate where I wanted to touch on it eventually, but appreciate you bring it up. I mean, great performance by you as well. The truck series race at Sonoma, another top 10 coming off your next gen debut <laughs> in the truck series at Gateway. So was, it was, uh, was on fire. Yeah, it was literally on fire. And thankfully you remained on fire in the truck series, but in a figurative sense. But let's stay with that perseverance theme, Parker, that you mentioned, because I, I did want to touch on this because I think there are some parallels, not just in terms of who you guys have both driven for, but you and Daniel Suarez and persevering. Daniel said after the win, obviously his journey from Mexico into the United States is well documented. He talked a lot about this in the media center interview about how he came here knowing no English. He learned off cartoons, uh, but he managed to persevere. Um, Bob Parker's Fox Sports. I'm curious, what kept you confident? You know, Bob, I, it, has, uh, it has cost me a lot to get to this point. A lot of people don't know that, but, but it has cost me a lot to get to, to this country first, 10 years ago, and, and to get to this point, uh, fighting. You know, I, came, I, came, I come from a very humble family, and, uh, and I have every, every step of my life has cost me a lot. And, uh, and I knew that, that, uh, that it's important to remember that if I was able to come all the way here, uh, I wasn't going to give up here. You know, I, my confidence was high. But obviously, you know, knowing that you haven't won yet, there is a little bit of doubt. But, uh, but I knew that I was fast. I knew that I could race with them, with the, with the, with the guys that are winning. But I haven't showed that first victory. So... I told my team, you know, the last five weeks we have had very fast race cars, but but things happen. You know, the jack broke last week. A few weeks ago, the gun broke. Uh, in Charlotte, we were the fastest car, and, and, and we were missing something on P-Road every single time. So it was hard to, to stay on track, but at the end, my team, everyone stayed together. We keep pushing. I told them that... Uh, that bad luck doesn't last forever and tough people do. And uh, we keep working very hard. We kept working very hard and, and here we are. So again, Parker, knowing that like you can kind of relate to the, the blood, sweat and tears that Daniel has, has gone through and you, you talked about, it. I think there was a point where 
you were ready to punt completely on your racing career a couple of years ago. And then lo and behold, things work out and the truck ride materializes again. Give us a little bit of a window, like not just Daniel's perspective, but maybe your perspective. I mean, like when he's talking about people don't understand the cost to get to this point, what does a driver have to do? How deep do you have to go to make it happen sometimes? It's a lot more than just monetary, right? It, it, when he talks about cost and sacrifice, and I think you hear this from a lot of drivers and, and you even have you know some of the drivers towards the end of their career right now, I think it was what Brad Kozlowski said a couple years ago. He he wondered if it was even worth the sacrifice if one of his kids wanted to become a race car driver because how much it takes out of you. And that's mentally, that is family time. And for Daniel, I actually got to meet him many years ago when he first came to America. Uh, I was actually hanging out with Nelson PK Jr. at the time. And I think he was just starting to come into the K&N series. He had just won the, the Max Car Mexico series race at Phoenix, I believe, at that time. He was a very shy, you know, humble guy. But really nice, you know, I thought great. And I remember he, you know, definitely English was not his, his first uh, language at the time. And I remember thinking like, this is going to be a tough road for this guy. Like, there's no doubt. And what an amazing bout of perseverance and sacrifice to not only, it's such a risky thing to try to become a race car driver. And I think people view the, you know, the end result and all the successes as, you know, oh, wow, you know, if it works out, it's great. But even when you've made it, quote unquote, it's an incredibly risky you know, fly by night, very little amount of stability, occupation slash life, you know, and it's on the road, it's it's time away from home, it's sacrificing the ability to be home for birthdays, weddings, your extended family, you know, for him being an entire country away, you know, that's just a massive sacrifice that, yes, you're trying to attain something that's so unusual. And so you'd be so grateful to have. But at the same time, you do have to give up a lot. And I think that's any any athlete, right? But racing, it's it's a you know when you get to the Cup Series, it's thirty eight weeks, right? Like it, you're on the road forever, and so and before that, it can be just as much travel and everything, but it's even less comfortable, and it's even more sacrifice to do it. And sometimes it's it's you know you're not even making anything doing it; you're just hoping to get to that next spot and keep it going. So I can absolutely relate from that side of things, and I think any driver can you know where they have that moments or those you know specific moments in their career where you're sitting there going, is this worth it, right? Like, is there a payoff at the end of all this? Am I even going to be here much longer? And those are really, really tough questions to ask yourself. They're really tough questions and, you know, discussions to have with your family, your supporters, right? When you're in those moments where you are being tasked with, with either trying to raise the money to get to the next ride or decide what the next move is, or in his case, you know, try and persevere, through learning a language and a barrier that he had with that to, you know, stick with this probably when there were some tough times and he's thinking, I don't even, you know, understand how to communicate correctly with the people I'm trying to work with. Right. Like that's really tough. So I give him a huge amount of credit for, you know, persevering through all of that. And and now, you know, after 195 starts at the top level, he gets that breakthrough win that's going to solidify him, you know, for at least a short time. And that's the crazy part. That's here's the next part. Yeah. You want the cup series. Great. Now, what are you going to do next week? Right? Like that's how racing works. And we see it so often guys, you know, get a, a brilliant year that buys them another year or two, maybe. Right. And that's back on to what have you done for me lately? And racing is an incredibly volatile sport. It's an incredibly volatile occupation and you sacrifice comfort. You sacrifice family time. You sacrifice almost everything people value just to have the chance to be there. And I think you're right, Parker, you know, looking ahead, you know, Suarez made a point of saying in his interview in Spanish that 
hey, this is going to be the first of many, which I thought was telling that you're right. He's already thinking like, hey, it doesn't end here. It doesn't stop here. I'm in the playoffs, but I've got to get more playoff points and, and got to continue to prove that I'm a contender. I want to go back to what you were saying about confidence, which I think was really interesting. And I'm wondering, as much as the Chastain dynamic here maybe affected Daniel and Travis Mack as crew chief in terms of like, hey, those guys are outrunning us, even though we're like the foundation of Trackhouse. We were here at the beginning. I'm wondering, do you think that Chastain's struggles at Gateway and maybe post-Gateway, perhaps maybe indirectly, <laughs> could have helped the team a little bit? And that it was like almost the inverse of like, oh, those guys are killing us to, oh, those guys are in the spotlight for the wrong reason. And now we kind of come in here and can do our own thing and, and change the narrative on Trackhouse. You know, I, I can't speak, obviously, to like what they're mental what's going through their minds right but i can say that in times i've been in the position where a teammate is maybe faster and you're you're going through that like checklist of like hey how are they doing this we've got all the same stuff we got the same information like what are they doing right and it, it can really drive you down either a, a dark hole or it can be something that you utilize to be like okay this is how i grow this is how i get better this is why we have teammates like this is where i can learn from them and really lean in to be like okay what are they doing differently than us how can I use some of what they're doing well? What do I do well? You look for those areas. Maybe it's, you know, breaking in a certain corner or getting back the throttle on the exit of another corner where you're a little bit better and it's sort of a consistent theme. And you sort of build on that to say, okay, that's what I do well and they can learn from me. So what can I learn from them? Okay, they're better here. They're better here. They're better there, right? And I think that really for drivers is a key way to attack sort of using a teammate and also having a teammate that is doing better than you while keeping your confidence, right? Because as I alluded to, that confidence is what creates your speed. It makes you make the right decisions. It tightens the time between a decision being made and sort of acknowledging something happening. And that's the end all be all racing because everything happens in split seconds, right? So if those decisions take any longer than a split second, that time, that length, that length, any long, the longer it gets, the more room there is for mistakes, for issues, that sort of thing. So I think if you're seeing, you know, that team that's been so successful have little kinks in their armor or just be human, right? That does absolutely, you know, sort of ease your thoughts of like they're gonna they're gonna win 10 races. I'm never gonna win a race and I'm out of here, right? Like yeah. <laughs> because drivers go that way. It's funny, we're we're very insecure. <laughs> No matter what we say, we are. And it's just because, and I said it, you know, Corey LaJoy and I were talking about this. And the reason being, I said, unlike any other sport, one of the things we see the most in racing that is so different is that there's so much out of our control. There's this metal component between us and success that unlike any other sport, we can't control. We can't make sure that everything is right. And so I think one of the things he was, he was asking me about was I've kind of alluded to that being now 31, now I'm driving better than I ever have. And I said, one of the things that I've learned is I know what I can and cannot control now. And I know what's important. And I think that's really key for drivers keeping their confidence. And I think you see that from a driver like a Daniel Suarez, who's been in the cup series for 195 starts. He has learned, and even in this new car, his building process and all the work he puts behind the scenes is in controlling the things he can control making sure that those are correct so that he puts his best performance out every single time he steps in that race car, every single lap, every corner. And that's important. It's not just on the races. It's not just, you know, late in a race. It means every single time you step into that car, you are perfect and you're on it. And I think that's really key to where, you know, you were able to keep your confidence and go do what he did this past weekend. That's a uh, really good insight, especially about uh, the insecurity 
of drivers. I want to go back to another driver who might be feeling a little insecure about things lately. Unfortunately, that's Kevin Harvick. Might have had the best car at Sonoma. I mean, he certainly thought that they were probably podium top two quality, but unfortunately he has this really bad mediocre pit stop uh, on his final time into the pits and that pretty much costs him. He can't recover from that on a road course. So Harvick said afterward, Kevin Harvick finished fourth and I know that's a good finish for you, but got to be disappointing when you had that opportunity and uh, had the long pit stop. How do you describe what happened there? Yeah, our, our gear range Ford Mustang was, was good all weekend, um, but we just have a catastrophic failure at least once or maybe twice a weekend. So um, we can't figure that out, but we got back as far as we could and Yes, it is what it is. He also said we look like a bunch of wankers. Uh, <laughs> he said we should have finished at least second. And they, he was asked, you know, what could have been better? And Harvick, in that Harvick sarcasm way, replied, well, don't have a 20-second pit stop or whatever. That is what could have been better. <laughs> so what do you hear, Parker, from Kevin Harvick? Because I know you know him well, and he, I know he really respects you as an interview as a journalist. So you've got a, a good window into him. We've heard him criticize his pit crew before, but not for a while. And this is kind of surprising to hear it from later stage career Kevin Harvick. And I'm wondering if like maybe the tension, he still doesn't have the win, the tension of being outside that cut line and trying to make this playoff, the specter of perhaps missing the playoffs might be looming here. Well, I love that uh, he's obviously watching a lot of Formula One and maybe <laughs> Ke- maybe Keelan's influence because the, the use of wanker <laughs> is amazing. Yeah, it sounds just like Gunther. I, I mean, maybe he's yeah. been hanging around with the Haas F1 guys. I don't know. I don't know, but it's uh, I love that. I, I thought that quote was pretty funny. I, I get his frustration. I actually had, uh, we used Stuart Haas pit crews on my truck team and we had a, our final stop, we had an issue on the right front. We had worked all day to get to the top five. I felt like, you know, with a good stop there, it puts us in position to be top three. And we lost eight spots on pit road in the final stop and was able to fight back to seventh. But, you know, that it probably took us from being top three on the day. And, you know, that was one of the more deflating moments I've had in the car this year was working that hard, driving, you know, passing so many cars, putting ourselves in position and thinking, all right, just, just, just put me out in the same position. And I've done all the work. And to lose eight spots on pit road, you know, having a similar 20 some odd second stop was just devastating, right? And I, I don't know if I felt that in a while because it goes back to what you can and cannot control, right? You as a driver did everything you were supposed to do. You put yourself in position, you're driving the car right, you've set it up right with your crew chief and your team. Rodney has called the right strategy. You put yourself in position and you get let down. It's, it's a really infuriating position. And I know that they have had those issues. And I know Kevin has always been really hard on his pit crews, but he is a person that demands excellence. Like you have to understand Kevin Harvick would have been, he would have been successful if he chose to be an NFL quarterback, an NBA player or a race driver. Like I know height and that sort of stuff, physicality, but I'm mentally as a competitor, as an athlete, that guy is incredible at turning it on and being, you know, absolutely perfect and doing the work behind the scenes to be perfect. You know, I think people, you know, have known him for so long in this sport and seen that, you know, they see the public side of, his frustration when it doesn't go right and you know the run-ins he's had but he is a top level driving talent who works as hard if not harder than anyone else out there right for the last 20 years right like he has been doing that on a consistent basis he demands excellence and i i can tell you that my crew chief chris carrier worked at khi for a couple of years and he took marvels all the time he's like man i never saw anyone who was more it was harder on his people but not because he was mean. It was because he demanded them to put in the same amount of effort and level of perfection that he does. And that was like when KHI, when they were deciding on suspension pieces or steering boxes to buy, he'd be like, Nope, this is what we're doing. 
this is why we're doing it. And he would ask questions of like, why, 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 right? Pushing people to find the answers, to understand, put all that and knowing all that behind him. I think you get to a position where he's in, where this next gen car has maybe been a learning experience, right? He's not ready to hang it up. That's pretty evident. He wants to win. He wants to prove that he still can. He does all the right things and has a day that's looking like he's going to do that. And it gets taken away from a mistake, right? And so the frustration is going to boil over. He's just sat in that hot car for a couple hours and done his job and done his job leading up to it the week before and done the sim stuff and everything and get it all right. And it gets taken away. That's a really frustrating place to be. And I'm sure they will continue to evaluate his pictures because you just can't have that for a guy like him. Like it, it, I don't think anyone can, but a guy like him, you, you've got to make sure when you're through house racing, you know, he's your franchise guy. You've got to really push your people to be perfect around him. Yeah. The clock is ticking and he knows that. And I think you're right. That exacting demand for perfection is what has made him a championship level driver. What makes him so great. And, and to your other point, like he has struggled with next gen, like a lot of veterans at times, but he comes into Sonoma and really adapts impressive. And I want to touch on the dynamics of next gen on the road course, Parker, because you got a really interesting tweet that you said that watching this car on road courses, as you put it, is awesome because of how in almost every corner you have enough ability to take some lunges at people in the braking zones, but yet it's changing constantly. I heard Truex say on the pre-race show that he had to adapt to the fact this thing has more brakes than tire and obviously wheel hop isn't a thing anymore. And we've discussed how that might affect the guys who are so good on road courses. Give us the Parker Kligerman kind of observation, especially now you've driven next gen of, of next gen on road courses, put all that, I guess, in layman's terms and tell us what we're seeing. Yeah. So, uh, you know, one of the things that stuck out to me when I drove the next gen gateway was just that we as a sport, maybe haven't really told the fans how big a difference this is and how it's changed almost everything we know as what it means to drive stock cars. It's monumental. I compared it on in the wall this past week to the NFL deciding that they were no longer going to use a pigskin football, but suddenly a soccer ball, like that would change everything. Right. So it's that level of difference. And at the road course and especially Sonoma this past weekend, it was really evident talking to some of the drivers just when I was hanging around uh, in between our, our sessions in the trucks where, you know, for the first time this car really were at Sonoma, they were struggling to drive off, which means the rear tires are spinning off the corners, which really, because this thing has so much grip off the corners, we hadn't really experienced yet. That was interesting. Um, obviously you mentioned wheel hop is gone, but with that comes these really, really good brakes that are actually better than the tire grip itself. So that changes kind of how you attack a corner and how you view like what you're supposed to do in the car to make it last over a long run. And then, you know, just as a spectator watching, what I mean by it being dynamic is you can see the car moving around like the old car, right? Like it, it's flopping around, I mean, maybe even more like a V8 supercar from Australia where it's, you can tell it's so soft in the rear and it's bouncing and moving and you can see it diving under the brakes and that sort of thing. And to me as a viewer, I just love that because it shows how dynamic the cars are, what the drivers are doing behind the wheel. So that was really interesting to me. I get very excited about the road courses with this car because I think you saw what a 17 could fall the 99 as long as he did and how close he was up until the late bit there. And then the 34 was actually probably faster at the end of the la- later part of that run, even though he was six seconds back or ever. So that's just really interesting. It's something that we possibly haven't seen. And if you look at the trucks the day before, we're so grip limited, which is which is so normal to a stock car. It's almost like a, a, a delicate dancing you know, ballet with those cars. With these, it's a little bit more of a blunt instrument, but it's cool because it allows you to try have more opportunities to pass people, more opportunities to take lunges and do sort of out-of-date orthodox driving or, or moves 
that you wouldn't have done in the old car because you just didn't have the capability to do it. And so I, I do enjoy watching them because of that. Yeah, it's certainly been uh, one of the primary narratives, the primary narrative really of the 2022 season is the impact of next gen on every side of NASCAR. So uh, as we wrap up here, Parker, I want to ask you, NASCAR and NBC picking up the schedule here at Nashville. Interesting that Hendrick Motorsports, Joe Gibbs Racing, both struggled a little bit, Sonoma, maybe Gibbs even more so. As we head to Nashville and NBC Sports picks up the schedule again, what are you expecting to see uh, here as we go to Nashville? Kyle Larson, the defending winner, maybe a return to the old power structure, or, or will we continue to see first-time winners and surprises? I think we can still see surprises. I, I just, I think everywhere we've gone, there's so many unknowns in this car. The teams are still figuring it out. We're seeing in real time, certain teams figure certain things out, then you know, the other ones figured out and they fall behind and it's a constant development battle. And it's not developing parts, right? It's just developing knowledge and understanding and deciding what is right. And that has been really fascinating to watch. And I think the other thing that's going on right now that cannot be understated, and I saw this when I did the cup race at Gateway, is just how tight this field is. I mean, from 31st on forward, 32nd, 34th, it is the tightest we've ever seen in the NASCAR Cup Series. I think it has entirely changed what we you know, how we view the NASCAR Cup Series, how drivers tackle the NASCAR Cup Series, and it will continue to change, you know, what we understand to be the, the big hitters in terms of how you create performance and create finishes as opposed to what we've known in the past. Because this car and this methodology of racing, you know, with, with the same parts has really tightened up the field unlike anything we've ever seen. And that's why you're seeing so many different winners. That is why we're going to continue to see, in my opinion, surprises and we're going to continue to see huge turnover. One week, Gibbs would be good. One week, Hendrick would be good. The next week, you're going to have a track house car. You're going to have a front row car leading the next week. You know, it's just, I think it's going to be a constant turnover. Colleague will be really good one weekend because there's so many unknowns and the field is so unbelievably tight. It's the littlest things that make massive differences right now. All those reasons are why you should tune in. NBC, yes. Nashville <laughs> Super Speedway on Sunday, June 26th. Check this out. So we're recording this on Zoom, Parker. And my little timer here, because I'm just so basic, uh, I don't have enough to go unlimited Zoom. I've got about a minute and a half for you here. I got a little bit longer than that, but you have a minute and a half. As I, as I mentioned, we already discussed it. You ran the truck at Sonoma, did well. What's upcoming for Parker Kligerman the rest of the year in trucks? And it seems like he might still have a shot to win this year. Yeah, so we got uh, we have Nashville next. We'll go to Mid-Ohio. I really think we can be a go threaten for the win at both of those. I think Mid-Ohio, you know, this past weekend was disappointing. I really expected to be a top three truck, especially after practice and such, but we had a, a setup thing that we realized we shouldn't have done. Um, and we were probably a fifth to seventh place truck. We got seventh. So, you know, if our bad days are seventh, that's fine. But yeah, we've got Bristol. We've probably got five or six more races left in the season of them. I think, uh, you know, maybe some other opportunities driving wise that have been knocking my door down. I've gotten calls from seven teams this year, which is seven more than any other year. So <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm doing something right in the driving sphere, which is nice. And it's nice to see people inquiring and interested in my services, which is cool. We'll see if anything come together. And then, yeah, just looking forward to getting going that's far on NBC and kicking it off on the broadcast. I'll be, you know, mixing it all together as always. So I'm sure if you tune on a, turn on a NASCAR race in the next, you know, a couple months, uh, I will be there in some capacity. All right. So, and th these could be like Xfinity and, and Cup Series teams? All three on? series. All, all three right. series. Yeah. So it's been unbelievable. I've never, uh, I guess I saw this happen to Ross Chastain. I saw this happen to Bowman. I saw this happen to some guys where you're just, you're performing well. People understand it. They, you know, they're taking you seriously. They see, you know, taking all different types of cars to great finishes and that sort of thing and performing well. And they get interested in your services. So hope we'll see where it goes. Or 
you know, none of it will come together and we'll just keep doing the same thing. And then at least we'll still have you here on NBC Sports, which we appreciate. Well, we know what appreciate happened it. with Alex Bowman and Ross Jones. I wish you the same good fortune in trying to, to follow those footsteps and those paths. And uh, thanks, buddy. As always, I really appreciate you taking time out of your vacation for doing this, Parker. Thanks for being here. Absolutely. Anytime. Thanks again to Parker Kligerman for joining us via Zoom and making time for the NASCAR NBC podcast during his Bay Area vacation. Thanks as well to NASCAR and NBC producer Emily Conboy for lining up Parker and providing a valuable assist with the Zoom recording audio. This is an off week for NASCAR, but as you heard Parker and I discuss, the NASCAR and NBC schedule will begin on the weekend of June 24th through 26th at Nashville Super Speedway. The cup race will be at 5 p.m. Eastern Sunday, June 26th on NBC. We, of course, are all very excited about kicking off NASCAR and NBC's 20-race season, which will run straight through with no breaks to the championship weekend at Phoenix Raceway. And I also want to tell you about some other NASCAR programming on an NBC-affiliated network. It's a new show with 2018 Daytona 500 winner Austin Dillon. Get ready for the high-octane life of USA Network's newest crew, Daytona 500 winner Austin Dillon, his wife Whitney, and their friends Paul and Mariel Swan, two NASCAR couples, four best friends, one wild crew, catch Austin Dillon's Life in the Fast Lane, premiering June 23rd at 9.30 p.m. Eastern on USA Network. That's Austin Dillon's Life in the Fast Lane, June 23rd, 9.30 p.m. Eastern on USA. And if you have any NASCAR and NBC podcast feedback, you can send to me on Twitter, at Nate Ryan is my handle. Thanks again for listening to the NASCAR and NBC podcast. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.